Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. Everyone, thanks for tuning in again. It's uh, Roxanne Durhaj. Today, I have a colleague, Yvonne Nasri. And uh, Yvonne, thanks for so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Yvonne's background. Uh, I uh, recently was uh, privileged. She ran the very first um, uh, Disrupt Niagara, which was a phenomenal success. And I was really, really um, so proud to be invited uh, to come and speak, and it was an excellent event. I'm looking forward to a whole lot more. So, uh, Yvonne's a founder and chief uh, human resources officer for Victory and, and Company, and a partner with Disrupt, Disrupt HR Niagara. Um, she's a dynamic and innovative uh, executive with a head for business and a heart for community. She comprises a strength of strategic leadership, human resources, and operations to work with leaders to build great workplace cultures through talent acquisition, total rewards program, and high-performance coaching. She believes in supporting the community, and she's the vice uh, chair of the Niagara Community Legal Clinic, board of directors, and HR advisory for Bethlehem Housing and Support Services, which I know a lot of uh, with my psychotherapy background. Um, she's You've attended ESA, University Strategy. Is that the proper way to say it? Uh, yes and Innovation Executive Program, and is in the Niagara College Business Administration uh, graduate. She's recognized as the top uh, 40 under 40 professionals in 2016 and nominated for Community Leadership Award in 2018. And you're an explorer, which sounds fun, mm -hmm. uh, optimist, and an infinite thinker. So you've obviously done a lot in HR. So let's, let's talk a little bit about um, obviously, you know, I talk about uh, mental well-being and resilience. Yeah. So, so I thought today we would spend some time. And now that I see that your um, involvement in the community, that would make so much sense with Bethlehem Place and those types of things. So, of course, mental health is um, always a hot topic and it's getting hotter as we go. So tell me a little bit about some of the, you know, the things that leaders should be considering when they're, approaching, let's say, uh, a wellness program from a mental health perspective? Well, I think if we're going to be looking at introducing wellness programs into the workplace, which I think everywhere should really, um, that you need to take a holistic approach. So, I mean, it should include things like mental well-being and support services. It should include things like financial wellness um, and other sorts of things. I mean, obviously nutrition is a big part as well for wellness programs, but there are other factors that do support a person's overall mental well-being, such as financial counseling as well, which can really put pressure on somebody, um, and how we can support their mental well-being while at work. Um, there's so many benefits to doing that for an employee um, that uh, it definitely needs to be in place. Uh, I think there's a lot of resources out there in the community, including people like yourself and others who really have a lot of insight to offer employees and leaders as to how they can approach these conversations to, to support and encourage their employees. 
So let's talk a little bit about that whole concept of when you hear the term um, mental health, people often go to the kind of the subset of people being very ill. And what we know at the workplace, most, most times within the workplace, most people are functioning relatively well, right. but they have a lot of pressures. And um, I worked uh, as a consultant with an employee assistance program for about 16 years. And we knew, what we knew is that 65% of the people, regardless of sector or size of company, that were presenting, presented with relationship issues. Yeah, absolutely. And it oftentimes wasn't work-related. Right. But that stress carries right through, right, into all facets of your life. Yeah, so... And 5% would actually kind of be work around 5 to 7%. It may have increased now. It was really specifically work-related. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of look at that, it's kind of like the concept that we bring our entire selves to work. We all do, even though we kind of think, you know, we, you park, the, I see your lovely kids, you, you park two of them, and then you kind of come to work. But if, if somebody's not well, or if something's going on in the family, or whatever it is, Obviously, we, we're professional enough to come to work and be able to function. However, those things are going to lag in our minds and maybe affect our ability to be as productive versus if things weren't going on at home. You, that's absolutely true. And so I think it's really important for leaders, managers, colleagues um, to be able to create that, um, that safe space for their colleagues or direct reports to have conversations about what's going on and how we can help them through that situation. Um, because you're right, it comes into work regardless of how professional we tend to be. Um, we are distracted if we are thinking about, I just dropped off my sick child, but I'm here for a meeting. I'm not 100% focused on that meeting if I'm thinking about my sick child um, or whatever that issue might be. I've had a fight with my partner or whatever. Um, so I think Although, yes, the fight is a personal situation, um, but we need to be able to, to allow that um, opportunity for people to have a safe place to discuss what they need to so that they get the support they need to able to um, effectively do their job. Um, so talking about resources or tools or saying, I need five minutes or, um, you know, whatever that is. And not always having to give an explanation, um, but just being able to say, this is what I need right now. Um, and I think that, you know, allowing, taking that management approach and allowing for people to feel that way, that they can talk to you and that they can put that out there takes a lot of that stress off an individual so that they can show up and be 100% for you when they are there. So, so there's some, obviously some basic things, right? EAP programs, which is employee yeah. assistance programs for people not knowing. And EAP is just, doesn't just cover psychological confidential services, but it does everything, financial, uh, legal. Um, it, it can go uh, health coaching, all that stuff, which most employers, and I know the employer that I came out to see you through, has that uh, uh, an overall service. Right. So it's kind of a given, I would think. Compared to 20 years ago when I was in the field, it was just kind of coming about, right? And where people Absolutely. were but now I would say that most companies, unless they're very small, may, may um, have uh, service providers. Yeah. What other things, I often say, okay, that in isolation is going to set up the company to fail to some degree. Because if I have someone that's going off, right, let's say that's going off on a stress-related leave and you don't have the proper return to work or you don't have... You know, you have the manager, let's say Roxanne goes off and she's, you know, had a stress-related leave or mental health leave. Oftentimes managers, they're so good at the tactical, right? But the soft piece sometimes becomes something that I know from 
uh, being consulting, that our management line would ring off the hook because people wouldn't want to talk about the soft end mm -hmm. of things. They were afraid. They're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to interfere with Roxanne's life. Um, what kind of things should leaders and companies be considering around that area? Because it's good to go to HR sometimes, but not all the time. Right. And I mean, even as an HR representative, I'd always want people to be able to talk to their direct manager first about the challenges that are going on. I think it's um, HR's responsibility to help managers to have those conversations. Um, so preparing them for that, talking about having like a real coach approach to conversations. We're not looking to solve um, Roxanne's problems. We're looking to figure out how can we support Roxanne and give her what she needs right now. How can we understand? How can we take a little bit more perspective as to what she's experiencing? What tools and resources do we have in place to help? Are there short-term solutions that we can put in place? If we adjusted your schedule for the next few weeks, does that help you out? Are you able to manage that? Are there different tweaks that we can take? So it's about that using um, the power of inquiry um, to help guide conversations and find solutions that work for everybody. Um, so I think that's really where HR can help support frontline managers is by assisting them in understanding what a true coaching approach to those conversations would be. So would you say that managers feel a little bit more comfortable in 2019 having some of those conversations compared to when you started in the field? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I can certainly see the changes that have come along specifically with some of, um, you know, the, uh, when I started out in my career, uh, working with some more senior leaders who at that time, that was like a, no, we don't talk about this. That, that stays out there. We're not acknowledging whatever happens in the world. Um, all that matters is when you're in these walls, that's, that's the only thing that matters. And to see those leaders, who previously had that mindset now sort of turn around and understand and express it themselves as well as they experience things and how can we manage this stress together. It's really great um, to see that turnaround. I think the ongoing awareness of why mental well-being is really important and how, um, how it affects all of us and how prevalent it is. Um, and talking about it has really made a world of difference in having people comfortable with those conversations. Um, furthermore, I think the, um, the understanding of the prevalence of how frequently people in our society are going through things has really increased the awareness. Um, people who are professionals in the field who are out there and advocating for the support are making it a more comfortable conversation. I think there's still sometimes hesitation from managers of fear of what if I say the wrong thing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I really think that probably the scariest thing is saying nothing at all. If you, if you see there's a challenge, if you uh, ought to be aware that there's a problem with someone, if you're seeing a drastic change in their behavior, in their productivity, in their punctuality um, or attendance at work, their levels of engagement, it's our responsibility as managers to check in and say, How's it going? What's going on for you today? Um, and, and try to dig deeper into to what's going on there because the risk of disengagement or nobody noticing what's happening with an individual is far greater than saying the wrong thing. Um, I think, you know, one of the things to say is like, um, I heard this somewhere before and I, I think it applies. Um, the best thing you can do is say the right thing. The worst thing you can do or the next best thing you can do is say the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is say nothing at all. So mm. I kind of take that approach of if you notice something that's going on with someone, 
just have a conversation, say it, see it, say it. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I, I often, you know, I talk a lot about authentic leadership and yeah. what we know is that from the top flows down, right? So if your senior leadership is as equipped as can be to understand, and I often say like shoulder to shoulder, like if there's a bit of a vulnerability, right? Like if there's something that's, you know, not sharing the whole gamut of maybe what someone's been through, but to recognize, let's say you're going through a, a merger or an acquisition and there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of culture change and shifts and policies mm -hmm. and procedures mm -hmm. and amalgamating two step systems. Talk about the pinnacle of stress, right? Right. So for the different levels of organization to really kind of come together, not just once to maybe discuss what it might be like, but to touch base throughout the process and show that it is equally as difficult for the person at the top as it is the person delivering the service. Absolutely. And that is something that I think has probably been misunderstood through the years is that, um, you know, the stress might be different. The experience might be different, but it doesn't remove the stress um, right. people as move, people move through these experiences, right? So it's more about talking about it, finding the solutions, um, removing any barriers to, to having that, that mental health and, and getting people the, the support that they need. So that's, that's very important. And what we know is, you know, kind of de-stratifying the silos so that it, people can kind of recognize that senior executives and middle management mm -hmm. and frontline, they're all having the same issues, but their, their accountability levels are a bit different. Right. But that communication piece is so key, right? It is, yeah. And it should be part of any effective change management process is to show what are the steps and who's involved and what are we doing? Um, because you know, you can find solutions from anywhere and people are going to have different ideas. But as long as we all understand that we're moving through things together, I think people feel that stronger sense of community and um, that they're not alone and that you're there with them and that you want a solution just as much as they do. And you want to get to that, that positive end state. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I know you do a lot of uh, HR consulting. Um, so if a company is kind of, let's say, they have the basics, right? And they've yeah. been struggling um, with maybe, maybe they've, they've seen an increase in uh, short-term disability claims around mental health. Mm -hmm. And maybe they have the EAP, you know, they ha obviously we all have, you know, sick days. Most yeah. companies have that, but they don't have a lot of other things maybe in place. What are, what are some of the things that you might be speaking to an employer about in reference to getting a strategy in place for, for mental well-being? Well, I think, you know, depending on what the organization and those roles are, there's other options that you might want to look at, such as um, flex time or remote work. Sometimes that can go a long way to help somebody with whatever they're going through. Um, we'd also want to look again about, are we having, <coughs> excuse me, are we having proper coaching conversations or how are we handling these um, uh, Pam Griffiths, a uh, uh, mutual colleague of ours, she calls them courageous conversations. Yes, yes. Um, so how do we enter into those courageous conversations with people um, to figure out what's going on? So again, coming back to that true coach approach of, of speaking with people to find out what's happening. Because again, one of, I think the, the, the things that I see most is that fear of saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm, so we mm -hmm. don't have to do a lot of the saying, we just have to create that space and ask the questions and allow somebody to work with us on creating the right types of problems, uh, right kinds of uh, answers for them. 
Um, but also I'd want to look at, you know, what is that what is going on in the organization? Is there major change occurring? Um, has the role changed? Is there a greater demand from the consumers? What other factors are coming in that it might be putting some pressure on this individual or in group of individuals? Um, is it time then that they change the work? Um, sometimes they need to add more staff. Burnout is a huge, a huge uh, thing that I think in this day and age as well with the constant availability on our mobiles as we move through our day, no matter where we are, we're accessible. Burnout is a huge thing. So uh, we need to make sure as employers that we're, we're responsible for staffing um, our organizations appropriately. And also, you know, setting those boundaries and saying it's okay to have boundaries. Maybe we say there's a policy of, you know what, no emails after 7pm. Mm -hmm. um, and let that be a, a, a designated time of there's absolutely no work unless the building's on fire. <laughs> you're not going to have to hear from us, right? To allow them to turn off and fully disconnect. Um, I think that that is a huge thing in organizations, particularly in support and management type roles um where that that comes into play a lot because oftentimes you hear people say i i i didn't leave the job i i left a, a difficult or um a contentious situation with a manager yes exactly right so it shows you the pivotal role that a manager plays right because if i think i'm in it you know, regardless of what I'm going through um, with my employer, you know, with my environment that I'm working in, but I, I feel connected and, and that manager is able to be empathetic to the, earlier this week, I talked a little bit about empathy. Um, you know, that's so very important. And that's, you know, gone are the days where we believe that, you know, you, don't, you can't learn empathy, right? Of course, we know that that's possible. Yeah. So just that connection makes me think, oh, I feel not so good. <laughs> Things are <laughs> stressful. There's too many moving balls you know, doing a whole lot more with less, but at least if I can connect with my managers that says, it'll be okay, let's yes. figure it out. What can we kind of, you know, off shelf to, to go somewhere else or whatever, then it, it, it gets a little bit um, better to deal with. Yeah. You can kind of go on um, to be able to, to deal with things. Sure. So definitely we go back to some of the core things again, connection, communication, say something, anything is going to help. I want to talk a little bit more about um, engagement because I know that's an area that you work a lot with right. and the importance of um, attracting the right people and what kind of things, again, keeping in mind about those elements that people want to come to um, environments where they can be liked. They feel like they're able to kind of uh, give, be important and part of the, you know, not just the business metric, but that they, they're making a difference. Absolutely. So can we talk a little bit about engagement and kind of some of the things that employers need to be thinking about, especially with all of these concerns that we're talking about uh, yeah. being mentally well at, at work? Sure, absolutely. So again, a lot of mental well-being goes around feeling like you are making a difference, like you belong to a community of people and uh, that you have that meaningful work um, and that you are able to make that positive impact to whatever it is the cause is. Um, I think it's really important for organizations to really know what their brand is and what it stands for and to share that a lot um, in the, like, I talk a lot about employer brands. Um, so who are you as an employer? Not just what are the products you sell, but what is it like to work there? What do you value? What is, uh, you know, what is your cultural norms? What are your expectations of me? And so to be able to say that up front as to, you know, what it is you expect from someone, 
within the organization, um, how they're going to, to contribute um, can make a big difference. It also helps you attract the right types of employees also. Um, and then when you're in the, that interview process to really figure out how do we communicate um, a lot of HR individuals focus solely on the core competencies of a role um, and, you know, behavioral de description interviews are great. They have a, they have a very good point. Um, but you also have to say, how am I going to talk to Roxanne tomorrow when I don't have this interview guide in front of me? Can we have a conversation um, and learn about what's meaningful to you? How do you like to work? Um, what's your, what do you like what kind of management do you like from your your leaders um, and figure out if there's the right fit that way also um, so i think right from the the hiring point is where it becomes important and throughout that uh, the the employment uh, it's again that continuous check-in what are your goals How, let's set some clarity around these things when people are um, aware of what's expected of them most times they will rise to that occasion they will do their best to anyways um, and again, so long as we're treating them right um, and respectfully and uh, being inclusive and again, leaving those values that the employer brand has suggested that we do, um, it will very much uh, help deepen that engagement and that sense of belonging. Employees who feel like they belong within the organization and that they're providing meaningful contributions to the organization are far more engaged and likely to succeed. Um, and again, that's very driven from how their relationship is with their managers and that level of support and togetherness throughout um, challenges. So I'm curious, what kind of questions might you ask to figure out fit? Because there's one thing, like you said, the behavioral traits are one thing, but yeah. intuition and Malcolm Gladwell talks about this, right? He talks about thin slicing where you kind of have a sense of people generally relatively quickly. Yeah. So what kind of things could, let's say a manager is kind of sitting in with HR or whatever mm -hmm. to kind of get a sense of that person? Well, I think, you know, um, you really have to, you, you have to ask some questions that are just a little bit um, unscripted sometimes. So really listen in to what the person mm -hmm. is saying throughout the rest of the interview and pick up on it. Be prepared to just slide in there and ask um, an unplanned question. Um, really show that you are hearing that individual um, right. and see what it's like, right? Um, and, you know, that way too, I mean, oftentimes candidates come and they have a pretty good sense of what type of questions are going to be there. So they've almost scripted their responses um, as well. So to kind of interject with a few, oh, tell me more about that. Or how did you feel when that happened? Um, or, uh, you know, uh, how else would you, if you were to do this again, what would we do differently? Or, you know, that's not really a very good example for that one, but, um, you know, but really kind of picking up on it and asking them very pointedly, tell me about the type of, of work environment that works best for you. Or, you know, um, what, are the, what are the kind of, um, what things are you looking for in your next employer? Um, you know, and allow them to say what's important to them. We know people always want money. They're usually looking for more money when they currently are. Um, not everyone. Some people are, are, are happy with what they're earning, but, uh, you know, the money and the promotion opportunities are usually top of, of people's lists as to why they want to change employers. And that's well and good, but we need to talk about the culture itself. What, what type of people do you like to work with? How do you like to communicate? 
Um, what kind of recognition do you like to receive? Mm -hmm. How do you provide recognition to others? Um, things like that, right? So just kind of getting into a little bit more non-job specific questions. Just like the right fit for how you're going to relate to the person that you need to report to, right. say, daily or, uh, or weekly or those types yeah. of things. Yeah, yeah. M makes so much sense. And then if, you know, based on, I often say that any of us could put it together for a 45-minute interview, but really the reality becomes when you have to actually deliver at the job and having that manager involved is so important in the interview process too, right? Or some of your teams, I know with some of my positions that I've held, they've actually had a couple of people from the team that I'd be joining sit in, yeah. um, you know, some newer, some a little bit more seasoned, the, the manager that I would report to. And it really, you know, was an effective uh, for me anyway, as the uh, interviewee to kind of get a sense, but I'm sure it, it also gave them the opportunity and it was a, you know, a situation I'd stayed for for 10 years. Yeah. So Yvonne, so this is all very fascinating. Um, so any, any last words about um, just wellness that you might want to share before we let you go? And I also want to know uh, the, where people can reach you if they're looking at strategy, if they're looking at engagement uh, or different things in HR. Okay. Um, I think overall, my thoughts on wellness is that it needs to be a priority for all of us. As leaders in organizations, we do have an obligation to, um, you know, demonstrate ourselves also that it's a priority for us um, because we set the tone for the rest of the organization. So uh, make it a priority for yourself if you are a leader in the organization. Support others in taking part in that um, and create fair work practices that allow people to disconnect um, and also to, to, you know, to recognize their contributions regularly. Um, though those steps will definitely help people in supporting the mental well-being of their staff um, on an ongoing basis. Um, for anyone who is interested in reaching at me, you can visit our website at victoryandco.ca or you can email me at yvonne at victoryandco.ca and I'd be happy to touch base with anyone. Well, thanks so much for being with us. So I guess what I'm walking away with and which is most poignant is um, say the right thing if you know what, say the wrong thing even if you don't know what you need to say, but say something. And that's so very key because as we know, when we bring our full selves to work and we all want to do a really, really good job. And as you know, that I speak about authentic leadership. So it's about recognizing that you can lead within yourself by demonstrating the qualities that you want to receive back, whether you're the CEO or the frontline person um, dealing with the consumer. So for anyone uh, needing more information on me, I'm Roxanne Durhodge. I'm a, uh, a keynote speaker and a coach and a trainer. Okay, take care, Yvonne, and thanks so much for your time again. Thanks, Roxanne. Take care. Okay, take Bye -bye. care. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.